Listening to Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about all things virtual reality. I am Chris Miranda, your host, and on today's show, I am speaking with uh, two very um, two people that are at the epicenter, I think, of something fucking amazing. Uh, and what this is, this is uh, the Mozilla uh, VR initiative, and I'm speaking with Vladimir. Uh, I always do this. I, I suck at pronouncing <laughs> last names. I'm so sorry. And I don't no mean problem. to do this on purpose. It's not a thing of mine, but I, can you please help me with your sure. last name? Vukicevic. Vukicevic. There'll be a quiz later. Thank you. All right. I, my, my body's ready for that. And uh, Josh Carpenter. Yeah. And uh, Vlad, you are uh, a uh, an engineer director, director of engineering here at Mozilla. Um, and uh, you're, and Josh, you're a UX designer. Yeah. Um, this is you guys are like like a Starsky and Hutch here. That's it. That sounds like a very uh, a complimentary pair. Uh, to is it just you guys working on this Mozilla adventure? And can you walk me through what how it came about and you know the the story behind this? Sure. sure. Yeah. Josh and I actually came at this from two different angles. Um, we both I think started getting interested in VR at around the same time. I think actually we've been historically interested in VR. Yeah. But now with uh, especially Oculus, the work that they're doing, and a lot of the other companies, now's kind of the right time for something interesting to happen in the VR space. And uh, we were both finishing up previous projects. Uh, Josh was finishing up a lot of the UX design work in Firefox OS. Yeah. I was finishing up some work on uh, graphics and some of the other, other platform pieces. And we both kind of said, hey, we want to work on VR. Um, and we figured out, uh, talking to our CTO and others, that we can do that at Mozilla. Um, it turns out that uh, the web is a pretty natural place for VR and for VR content to exist because a lot of the concepts there are all about being connected, connected spaces, uh, immersion, all of these things that people already sort of experience through VR. And so it was kind of decided, that, hey, let's start a small research group, initially Josh and myself. And as you say, it's a pretty complementary pairing. Like I focus on the technology things. Josh focuses on figuring out, like, what the hell do we build with this? What is the actual kind of end result product-wise potentially might look like? Um, and so, yeah, right now it's just the two of us, but we're pulling in kind of help and resources from other parts of Mozilla, from parts of the community um, to kind of help us figure out uh, where web and VR should go. I think... One of the reasons that uh, our CTO, Andreas Gall, I think was really excited about this when I think Vlad and I both independently brought it to him as like, hey, VR is finally blowing up. This is real this time. It's actually going to happen. And we think the web could be a great platform was that for the last couple of years, Mozilla and the web in general have made a real push uh, into performance. Uh, there's been uh, huge strides in the web growing as a platform where you can do high-end, high-performance 3D gaming, where you can do real-time communication through with protocols like WebRTC. And then with Firefox OS, creating APIs that let the web actually talk to hardware at like a deep level, let's say, to do SMS messaging or even make phone calls. So Mozilla's done a pretty kick-ass job in the last couple of years working with the web community to really push the medium forward. 
Uh, and so we looked at VR and we thought, well, this is going to be incredibly challenging. And so it's the perfect test bed. If you want to make, if you want to push the web as far as you can, VR is perfect because from like low latency to uh, high FPS to really rich 3D scenes. I mean, look at 3D video, you know, 3D, 360 degree, like 60 FPS video. It's just really challenging. So at Mozilla, by taking on VR, I mean, if we can make the web awesome at VR, we can do pretty much anything is our thinking. And it's going to be a really great test bed to push the medium forward. How difficult was it to be able to pitch VR to to people in your company? Was were, were they receptive in the beginning? I mean, how, how, did you have to work out a pitch uh, eventually to to sell it properly? And and what was what what is it about this time around that, in your minds, is the or, or are the factors that are the reason why VR is here to stay this yeah. time around? Yeah. I, I can speak to the first time around um, or to why it's real this time. I and mean, I think for us, the core thing is that, uh, I mean, the way I usually pitch it to people is that uh, go to YouTube, type in Oculus Rift reactions, and just watch people's reactions. And do that first. And once you've done that, then look at the hardware that's being used to drive that experience. It is smartphone hardware from about a year ago. So that experience that's making those grandmas and those kids and everyone have those reactions you're seeing, like the total awe and wonder, the minds being blown, that's as bad as VR is ever going to get. Because VR is leveraging smartphone economies of scale, leveraging smartphone hardware, and even leveraging smartphone operating systems, it appears. It's a bit early to say for certain, but it appears as though Android's going to be a big part of what drives virtual reality from a platform standpoint. Uh, so virtual reality, even if Palmer had never been born and, and, and none of us had ever even tried to do anything with VR, VR would still be getting better because it's just leveraging the screens, the sensors, uh, the software of, of, soft, of most smartphones, which, I mean, by now, smartphones are more, the penetration of mobile phones is higher than indoor plumbing, I think I read recently. So, you know, I think that uh, when you see what people are already doing, and when you look at where smartphones are going and where those hardware and components are going, I think VR, to me, seems like a lock to actually be real this time. Uh, and the question to me becomes not, is it real, but how big is it going to be? Um, I think we've talked a lot about this, but smartphone, sorry, virtual reality could be as big as console gaming. Uh, it could be maybe even bigger if you take in its, its potential impact in console gaming, plus PC gaming, plus the web, plus uh, education, plus filmmaking. Like there's so many different creative industries that are potentially positively impacted. And there's so many potential niches for virtual reality to explore. Uh, I think to me, the question is only how big. Uh, and it really will probably come down to you know, how good is a storytelling experience from like, let's say a filmmaking standpoint in VR and how easy can we make the interaction paradigm? Can we make it as easy as an iPad or is it as complicated as a gamepad? I think these will be the factors that that limit or, uh, or or bolster virtual reality's growth. Yeah, and, and given kind of all of that, it was a pretty easy pitch to get Mozilla yeah. interested in VR. Um, we are pretty strong proponents of the web as a premier development platform. Uh, we've been doing a whole bunch of work with the gaming industry, showing you can do high-performance, high-quality games on the web. We have the Unreal Engine 4, have Unity, all these things running in the web, just in HTML, and uh, HTML and JavaScript. And so VR, as Josh was saying earlier, is kind of a natural evolution of that to see kind of how far we can push things. But there's all these other kind of reasons why it has a potential to become kind of the next big thing. So it's pretty natural for us to want the web to be there. Um, you know, we already have this fantastic platform that there's a lot of developers out there that know it. It's approachable. It's very compared to some of the native platforms, but it's also powerful. And so we want to make sure that it can be on the bleeding edge. 
and VR is definitely kind of the bleeding edge. So yeah, it was it was a pretty easy pitch, I think. Yeah, I think I mean I think a lot of people would probably echo this. Um, when you say you're working on VR, people who've seen the videos or tried it are like, "Oh, you lucky bastards! You're getting <laughs> you're actually getting paid to work on virtual reality. Like, how do I get in on that?" I'd say the other reaction you get just as frequently is like, "Oh, it's VRML all over again." Yeah. Oh. VR, you know, it's like, or or it's it's the virtual boy all over again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I gotta say, I actually kind of love that because uh, you know, one of the things that makes it really fun for all of us to be working in virtual reality is that the big problems still remain to be solved. I mean, I came, I just did a mobile operating system for two and a half years from a user experience standpoint. And in mobile operating systems, the questions that we're asking ourselves now are, I read this article, this is a real article, I'm not making this up, is uh, how come we haven't standardized the icon for the share button across platforms? Like mobile operating systems and the design of them in mobile application user experience in general has gotten to the point where we're just kind of polishing the buttons and we're making very small kind of adjustments because the, the, the base interactions have kind of been laid down. We kind of know what works, inertial scrolling, things like that, pinch and zoom. In VR, none of that exists. It's really kind of a pioneer era. It feels like you're the first wave of settlers to hit California and there's nothing but dirt there. And you got to lay down a bunch of muddy tracks. You got to figure out, you know, what works and what doesn't. So it's just a really, really, really fascinating, fascinating area to work in. And so when I never, when, to tie it back, whenever someone says, ah, it's like VRML or Virtual Boy, <laughs> I kind of think like, yes, you keep thinking that. <laughs> it's just and more, then you'll try it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's like, it's kind of, it's more fun for me. They, to me, that sounds, I mean, not to be a jerk, but people who say that to me sound like people who looked at the Mac in 1984 and was like, that's a toy. You know, or, or that, you know, why would anyone want to use a mouse and keyboard when I can do my spreadsheets by just typing into it, or type, what, typing in? Why do I need a, a touch screen? I have buttons on my phone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly the same. Um, so I think that, you know, once people try it, I think uh, that usually makes a conversion out of them. And as a total aside, I mean, I think that uh, that's why it's going to be I mean, I just, which is kind of good timing where uh, just a couple of days ago, we heard the announcement that Oculus Connect, the first annual uh, developer conference, is going to be scheduled for, I believe, in September. September 19th, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, we've also just heard a couple of days ago that um, Oculus announced that they'll be having, I believe, a, a keynote around, no, sorry, Samsung is also at IFA 2014. As of today, this was announced. actually yep. going to be doing this. I think I actually read that on your twi Twitter stream. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> uh, um, they've got an event coming up as well where they're going to talk about, potentially, the rumor is going to be talking about their plans. So I think that really soon we're actually going to see a lot of the the questions around what the platform is going to be actually answered, which we're all kind of anyone who's doing development for this is really waiting to hear from the hardware manufacturers uh, what they're going to do. You know, what's what's the interaction paradigm going to be, for example? Mm -hmm. What's it, what's it going to ship with by default mm -hmm. in terms of a controller, that sort of thing? Yeah, that's actually the, one of the things that's really exciting uh, for me, at least, is you know you, we went from like keyboard and mouse to touchscreen. But that was just one kind of hardware change. Yeah. Whereas now all of a sudden we have this explosion of both kind of output devices with the head mounted displays, but also input, right? Like yeah. you, you have like your orientation sensors, but like are you gonna use some kind of like gesture detection, like connect or leap? Are you gonna use uh, some kind of like skeletal suit? Are you gonna use something that you hold? Like all like are we gonna just all focus on speech and speech recognition? There's all of these things that are still, like Josh was saying, like very much open questions. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that we're gonna actually see people experiment in all these different directions. Uh, there's going to be a lot of interesting competition, uh, not just for Oculus, but even for some of these like device input manufacturers. Yeah. So we're going to see kind of this explosion of kind of new interesting ways to interact with kind of this digital world. And yeah, and again, like really just want the web to really be a strong key part of that to let people work with all of these things 
on the web instead of having to figure out, you know, how do I jump into Soto platform? How do I download this thing that's going to provide me some kind of experience? So going forward, I mean, where where does uh, where does Mozilla see itself in this in this VR realm of, of you know in this industry two years from now perhaps and and what would that what would the blueprint to that goal look like if I may ask <laughs> I, I I wish we had a crystal ball for for two years down the line like I think we're having trouble figuring out like three months um, yeah. like initially we want to figure out the technology pieces we want to figure out what does it take to let you put VR content on the web. Mm -hmm. um, and whether that's content using WebGL, so kind of just pure 3D content, or more interestingly, I think to us, is how do you upgrade the current web with VR? How do you let current websites uh, who are doing things in HTML and CSS, how do you uh, let them add VR elements and VR interactions to the current websites? Hmm. Um, once we kind of have some of those pieces figured out, we want to let people play with that and then kind of see what the feedback is. And then take that and then figure out like what we actually do kind of product-wise or you know where we kind of take Mozilla itself in VR as opposed to the web platform. So we're kind of focusing on the platform pieces, but I think we definitely want to explore kind of what Mozilla itself and how Mozilla can participate in kind of this VR world. I mean, I think, you know, for folks who may not know much about Mozilla, so Mozilla is a not-for-profit organization, and we fundamentally exist to make the web a strong and healthy and vibrant platform. So as Vlad says, I mean, two years from now, I can't tell you what you're going to be able to download from us, but I can tell you that over the next couple of years, we're going to continue to do what we've been doing for the last two months, which is reaching out to developers, web developers and web consumers and asking them, like, what do you want to do as a developer, as a consumer, and then figuring out ways that we can facilitate that. Uh, that, that, that to us, is that's core to our actual mission as Mozilla. Uh, what does the web platform need to be healthy and vibrant? Um, yeah, I, I think the other component to that is, uh, is really um, figuring out what the web as a user experience looks like in VR. Um, what does a classic website look like in VR? So go to CNN.com and get the desktop site. How does that appear? How does that render in front of you in a way that's actually tangible and usable on a 1K by 1K per eye resolution device? You know? And then looking forward, how do you build a site from scratch for VR? What characteristics would it have? What would the user experience look like? Um, we've been speaking a little bit with the Janus VR team. I'm a big admirer of what Janus has actually done. I think they're the first... They're one of the first projects to make it really easy to, with a really simple set of building blocks, uh, you know, modified syntax, make one site, host it somewhere, point the web client at it, and actually experience user-generated content in a VR context. So I think that again, my hats are off to the Janus VR team for what they've done. They've really shown that if you make tools easy enough for people to use, that uh, they'll use them to build stuff. That the, the creativity, the desire to be creative and share people's creativity is there. I and mean, that's, that's kind of a timeless ingredient of the web. Um, and I think that the metaphor that we use a lot is it feels a little bit like we are where the the iOS mobile safari team probably was in about 2005, where we're trying, they were trying to figure out how do you take like a, you know, a desktop site and shrink it down to a 3.5 inch screen. Uh, you know, what kind of interaction metaphors are going to actually work? And they come up with things like, well, you come up with like viewport scaling and you come up with pinch and zoom. We've got to figure all that out for the VR context. And I would argue it's actually a hell of a lot harder for us to do because the gap between 
VR and preceding paradigms like mobile and desktop is a heck of a lot bigger than the gap from desktop to mobile was. Uh, it's really, I mean, like, you know, sp spatial audio, for example, um, that's a huge part of VR that just has been totally, totally absent from web design so far. So um, again, this is to bring it back to like, it feels like a bit like being a pioneer. I think all of us who are working in this field that way, like we get to be the people who figure out the ground rules for this paradigm going forward. And I, I figured the, the thing that would be driving the innovation is figuring out what it is that people want to do in the web, in VR. Um, and you know, I was going to follow up with a question in terms of like, is there is there such data? Have you, uh, you know, of actually asking people um, what they would want to do with a you know web-enabled virtual reality paradigm? Yeah, like so, it, it's kind of a cycle because we really look at ourselves in partnership with both the developers, consumers, and kind of just a general community who participates in, in Mozilla Mozilla development. Like, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where we can kind of ask, what do you want to do? And have people give us a clear, kind of even correct answer, and then us just go and build it. It's just always a back and forth. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we're focusing on is like, here, we want to implement like some things that we think are a good idea, mm -hmm. um, and then see what people do with it. See kind of where the pain points are, what's hard, what's easy, what's impossible, and then figure out kind of how to resolve those. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be kind of a constant back and forth, I think, over at least the next few months yeah. until we figure out. I mean, like some of these things that Josh was saying, you know, like, what do the interaction paradigms look like? Well, some of those might require us to extend the web platform in certain ways to actually support them because they might not, not even be possible right now. Mm -hmm. And so it's always going to be a constant back and forth. And that's one of the things that like, we are really committed to kind of rapid iteration and making sure that we can get these changes and experiments out into the hands of uh, developers, especially and users, yeah. uh, on kind of on, on a pretty short, uh, short time scale mm -hmm. um, so that we can get this kind of constant feedback instead of having to like say, okay, let's figure out what is the thing that we want to do and then spend six months building it. Yeah. Because that thing will likely have changed over those six months. I'm really reminded of that. Uh, I think it was Steve Jobs quoting Henry Ford. And Henry Ford said something to the effect of, you know, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have told me, like, a horse-drawn carriage with 16 horses. <laughs> um, I've kind of always felt that in user experience, you tend to frame the work to be done uh, by the team as solving user problems. I've always felt that that was a bit limiting, especially when it comes to a new medium. I mean, we're not trying to solve a new problem necessarily for the user, although, you know, if we make it easier to plug in a head-mounted display and we reduce the friction of loading content onto the head-mounted display, sure, we're solving problems. But at a higher level, I think the way you need to look at it um, is through jobs to be done theory, which is I think one of Clay Christensen's contributions to the world. Mm -hmm. And so as we try to figure out what's VR good for, we ask ourselves, okay, well, what is the job we hire a VR to do? So you walk home at the end of the day, you've probably got, especially as an early adopter, a laptop, a tablet, a smartphone, and a TV, maybe with an Xbox or a PlayStation 4 or Wii U. Now, why do you pick up the VR headset? Why do you spend time on that versus all the other devices you have? Like, what job are you hiring that headset to do? If you're a gamer, you're going to hire that headset to entertain you, right? And, and, and therefore, it may be competing with the Xbox directly. If you want to use it to accomplish some work, well, now you're hiring it as a utilitarian tool, and now it's competing with your smartphone or it's competing with your, let's say, your laptop. Um, if you understand, if you look at it through a jobs-to-be-done lens, I think the, the great thing about the jobs-to-be-done lens is it helps to clarify where the opportunities are and where the competition lies. So, I mean, again, if, if you were to look at the Oculus demos right now and you see a bunch of guys playing games predominantly with 
cords plugged into high-end PCs, you'd look at that, you'd have a tough time understanding why uh, an AMC theater operator might be worried about this technology. But if you understand it through a jobs-to-be-done theory, where you just realize, okay, well, that headset's going to miniaturize, and what people are fundamentally hiring it to do is immersion within a world and to be taken away to like a wondrous, fantastic, imaginative place, then you begin to see that VR will compete or at least be a player in, in cinematic storytelling eventually as well. So I think that uh, you know what I'm really excited about, uh, again, which again makes it such a neat field to be working in, is that these are all unanswered questions. And what I'm really looking forward to is, uh, and I think this is historically the way to do it, is uh, engineers and designers kind of come up with the rules for the medium or come up with the technology, and then we give it to artists. So television doesn't really take off until we give television cameras to th you know, uh, theater actors and to film directors. Uh, and to musicians, and then they begin to working with the technologists to figure out what the medium is really capable of. So I think the same thing is going to happen in VR, and it's something that we're working with, uh, working on ourselves actually, is reaching out to the artistic community mm -hmm. and getting scientists and artists to actually collaborate and kind of find the frontiers of this, just to do wild and weird things. Um, and lastly, what I'll say is I think that's what's so neat about the Oculus community and why it's so cool that they shipped that DK1 so early mm -hmm. is it's given a bunch of really creative developers the time to take tools like Unity and actually build just really crazy, cool, off-the-wall demos. Like, um, I, I'm going to get the name wrong, but I think it's the Epic River demo where you're just floating down a river. And it's not trying to be a game. It's just trying to be a really evocative experience and mm -hmm. very sensory, right? It's so cool. Or the My, My Neighbor Totoro demo that came out recently. Or the Janus stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. it's so cool that people have been able to hack and kind of figure out what works um, what works in this medium. Uh, to, I mean, where I was going to go with this is, I mean, uh, you've just implanted so many inception sort of seeds in my head of thoughts and <laughs> ideas that I could that I that I that I want to throw back at you, you and Pat. Um, I was under I'm under the, the notion um, that if I were if I were Mozilla, uh, and and please help help me disperse this myth out of my mind. Uh, but I, uh, the notion or the myth that I had in my mind is uh, going forward, if I were Mozilla, what I would do is I would figure out what is it that the web does already, you know, commerce, uh, social media, uh, uh, security, McAfee mm -hmm. or whatnot, um, and, then, and, then, and then figure out how to translate that over to VR. So how do you translate that commerce aspect to virtual reality, perhaps put, you know, making retina scanners so that instead of having credit card information, uh, I'll just have my own retina being, uh, and that makes really big questions for privacy. But but you know, in terms of that approach, in terms of doing or replicating over into VR what the web is already doing, I mean, is that something that you guys have thought of? Is that is that in a um, is that an approach that is worth doing, or, or, or you know, what are your thoughts on, on that? So one of Mozilla's kind of goals, uh, or part of our mission, is really enabling choice and innovation on the web. Mm -hmm. And part of that is really enabling others to do a lot of kind of these innovative pieces. So like you're absolutely right, like those are all areas that are done on the current web that need to find an analog in VR. However, like one of the things is really just they can potentially work the same way in VR, except with a different interaction paradigm, like, like Josh was saying. Um, and so whether Mozilla itself tries to figure that out, or if we give other people the tools to figure that out, I think it's kind of an open question. I think it'll be a combination of both. Mm -hmm. um, for most technologies that we've helped put on the web, 
we've often put out best practices initially, things that we've kind of learned both along the development and along you know, developing some of our own applications. For example, Firefox OS and actually the Firefox browser, they're both written using JavaScript, using a lot of the same HTML and kind of markup type technologies. So we have a lot of this knowledge internally, but as you can kind of see with the wide variety of things that are out on the web, there's a lot of developers out there who will take maybe some of these ideas and iterate and improve and come up with entirely new paradigms that we haven't even thought of. And so we really want to foster that ecosystem. We want somebody else, we want to give somebody the tools to figure out what is like the best way to do, uh, I don't know, for example, long form reading in this virtual reality space. That sounds like a crazy thing. Like that's the kind of thing that as Josh was saying, if you look at kind of jobs, that's you're gonna pick up your tablet, you're gonna pick up your uh, your your laptop, but maybe somebody will have a fa fantastic idea that actually makes that experience in VR much better. And we want to make sure that people have those tools in the web platform to help experiment with that, to figure those things out mm -hmm. in conjunction with us. If people just wait for us to do it, it's never gonna happen. But luckily that's not the way the web works and that's yeah. not kind of how, how we've gotten so far. Yeah. So kind of our, our first focus is really giving people and developers the, the tools, giving them maybe some initial kind of seed thoughts and ideas and then seeing where it goes. How important are standards going forward? And, and are, are you guys perhaps uh, in any way, shape, or form worried if the community or the industry comes up with a standard that is not what you guys would be? I mean, I don't know how really how that discussion would would go down. Like, is there a vote? Is there like, you know, is there going to be a big conference where Palmer Lucky and everybody <laughs> was going to be sitting in, on a table and figuring out? All right, this is we need to figure out standards. How does that? How does that play out? It, it really depends on the standards for what, right? Like yeah. the, the the space is is pretty large and, and the web itself has done a pretty good job of figuring out a good balance between having interoperable standards and letting people innovate. Um, usually in recent history at least, kind of the period of kind of rapid innovation on the web, what generally happens is one of the browser vendors comes up with an idea, proposes something, and then starts experimenting, starts putting out experimental builds, maybe puts it in their kind of early alpha releases, um, and kind of gives developers a chance to play with some of these new APIs. Mm -hmm. We're actually seeing this with some of the early uh, VR and the web work that we've done. One of the engineers at Google, Brandon Jones, he took the, the API that I kind of designed and implemented it in Chrome, also in an experimental build. None of these things are available in kind of the regular nightly builds yet, but that's really kind of how standards end up evolving is kind of people working together and then eventually coming to a common place. But there is a danger to standardizing too early and that's something that we're not really interested in. We want to make sure that we have a lot of flexibility to kind of to experiment and figure this stuff out. Now if all of a sudden the other browser vendors or other kind of players in the industry come together and figure out a standard that they all agree on, for example, for uh, VR video, uh, we'll of course look at that, you know, we'll participate in that. Um, hopefully, if we have any kind of serious objections, they will be taken into account. Um, but in general, especially for web standards, it's a pretty kind of good-natured uh, collaboration between kind of the major browser vendors to figure this out because it's really it's in everybody's best interest to have the content be interoperable. Mm -hmm. That's why the web works. Yeah, I think that I actually learned about this recently, but there was a um, something called the Extensible Web Manifesto put out about a year and a half, and what it really committed to was the web innovating faster and essentially the way to do that was not to decide slowly through a standards body process 
what the new standard would be and then release it and let people start to play with it, but was actually what actually was focusing on low level enablers, giving those to developers and letting them actually play and letting ideas uh, form and be tested in the marketplace by devs and by organizations like Mozilla and Google, uh, Microsoft, et cetera. Um, so the web has gotten a lot better at innovating rapidly, a little bit by uh, maybe deferring formal standardization a little bit later in the process and front-loading really rapid iteration experimentation. Um, and I think, so there's that, there's kind of the web standardization process. I think the other standardization we're going to see is uh, is the input standardization to bring it back to that. I mean, mm. we're in a funny place again where in the case of the UI, the GUI, and in the case of smartphones, in both cases, Steve Jobs got up on a stage, pulled something out of his pockets or out of a, a sack and said, here is the new standard. I mean, that was really what happened. And everyone else decided, okay, keyboard and mouse is the new input paradigm. And inertial scrolling, pinch and zoom on a capacitive touch screen, uh, you know, uh, with multi-touch, that's the new input paradigm for, for, for smartphones. Um, we're in a funny place where we know that VR is going to be uh, potentially the next big thing. But someone like Steve Jobs hasn't gotten up on stage. Someone who has control over both hardware and operating system uh, and actually told us what that's going to be. So we're waiting for that. And I think once that happens, uh, competing platforms, let's say the second VR platform or the third VR platform, if they want to siphon away customers from the first one, it helped, it behooves them to have some degree of interoperability of input paradigm. So for example, if I'm Xbox and I want to siphon away PlayStation 4 users, if my controller is functionally the same as PlayStation, it's a lot easier for me to actually pick off those users and actually have some movement back and forth between users. So you see a you see the first company come out, they come up with something awesome, and then everyone else decides that that's the way software is going to be developed, right? Or that's the interaction paradigm uh, default. And then you've got things like Wii, which become exceptions that prove the rule. But generally, this, this is the case. Usually, like two platforms, or one platform, two competitors, each with pretty interoperable standards of input. So I'm kind of, I'm really looking forward to potentially September. I mean, hopefully, where we get to see what Oculus has up their sleeve, what Samsung has up their sleeves. And then all of us in the content creation business, whether it's uh, you know, on the web, for Unity, for filmmaking, whatever it is, can begin to figure out, okay, what's the out-of-the-box input we're going to get to play with and what, what is shaping up to be the emergent input default going forward. Yeah, cool. Just to kind of add to that, it's actually interesting because I kind of have a slightly different take than Josh. I hope that nobody does come up with a default yeah. because I really want to see a lot of innovation in the space mm. over at least the next year, if not longer. Right. What, what I think would be a bad result for me is if we got an HMD with one particular input model, mm -hmm. and then everybody just jumped on, uh, jumps onto that, and all the other possibilities kind of get thrown out. Mm -hmm. And I think that would, there's a chance of that happening for sure, but I think we would end up in a much richer space if there's actually variety. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there is kind of, as Josh was saying, there is kind of this tension because content creators, they want something to create for. They don't want to create 10 different experiences. Yeah. And so there's always, I think, going to be that back and forth tension. But I hope that we don't get to effectively standardization. Yeah. Like I hope we don't get to that input paradigm standardization too soon. Yeah, what we've talked about internally, us kind of what we, what we see it playing out is that uh, we know that neural is coming. We know that speech input's going to get better. It's not clear that neural and speech will be good enough for a year from now or even two years from now. We know they're coming down the pipeline later on. Um, you know, I, I kind of believe that you're going to see interaction primitives. So, for example, what I mean by that is. Uh, 
I don't know how two years ago you're going to control a cursor on the screen, mm -hmm. but I believe that there will be a cursor, and it may be independent of where you look. So where you look, you can look anywhere, but there's a little visual on screen which represents kind of your interaction point. And then there's a thing called like a positive interaction you can do, which is the equivalent of a left mouse button click or tapping on a touch screen that actually triggers whatever is underneath that cursor at that time. So I see those as being interaction primitives. And then... As input technology evolves, well, in the beginning, in version one of the Oculus, or let's say a Samsung device, or something else, uh, maybe that cursor is controlled with a D-pad on a gamepad controller. Maybe a year from now, once you get better eye tracking, it's controlled through eye tracking. Maybe two years from now, it's controlled through neural, where you can actually like think left, think up, think down, think positive action or secondary action. Um, so we can have the input paradigms uh, really rapidly innovate, and yet it maintains some degree of backwards compatibility with the past. And again, I would I would kind of point to the mobile browser's relationship to the desktop browser is a really good example of that, where the mobile browser didn't break scrolling. Mm -hmm. It's just that you implemented scrolling in a completely different way. You didn't use a wheel anymore. You used your flicking gesture, you know? Mm -hmm. And like tapping became tapping with your finger instead of clicking a mouse. I think you'll see the same thing kind of happen in VR. What well. do you guys think is, is, in your minds, what would be the ideal uh, input interface that you would that you would be personally happy with and you would settle down like this would be enough like for me uh well i think what, what josh was saying i think neural and speech neural and speech just yeah, straight up like just hook me up to the brain yeah, okay. because like i think that right now at least for me i know what's not ideal like keyboard and mouse yeah. are keyboard especially with the current generation of head mounted displays not great now if we're looking at some kind of future where we have fully transparent kind of glasses style head mounted displays, eh, maybe keyboard starts to be okay. Yeah. Maybe you can actually interact with it that way. Uh, but like I, I think sometime down the line, the only thing that I would personally be kind of really happy with is just some kind of direct connection. I think it's going to depend on what job the manufacturer is selling that device to do and the, the context in which it will be used. Uh, by whom? And again, the display technology, as Vlad says. So, I mean, um, an opaque headset that looks kind of weird, but it's meant to be used at home, sitting down by an early adopter for the next, let's say, two years, someone who maybe owns a PS4 or an Xbox. Um, you know, the input paradigm for them that might be perfect is a gamepad because they know how to use it because it, it's functionally, uh, it does most of what they need. And, you know, it, it's not awkward when you're sitting down to be holding a gamepad. There's nothing else you're trying to do simultaneously. However, if you go four years out, maybe even less, and you, like if, as Vlad said, you've got a transparent headset, uh, it's mass market priced by this point. So it doesn't have to be just the domain of the early adopter hardcore gamer. It's now this kind of thing that potentially kind of a second or third wave consumer can use, someone who's not as tech savvy. Uh, and they can use it at any time, the same way you use our smartphones, walking down the street with a lot of visual noise and a lot of like uh, competing cognitive load. You're going to want something, I think, that's lighter, that leaves your hands free. Uh, and that's where I look ahead to something like, well, maybe that looks like eye tracking. Maybe that looks like picking up impulses in the finger so I can be doing something like a one-handed keyboard system. Or maybe I'm like looking at a keyboard I can only see. And as I look to the letters, I can actually like do a positive, negative, you know, tap finger one, tap finger two to actually input these kind of gestures using something like the nod or the Mayo armband from Thomic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, to me, it really, really depends on, again, who you're selling to uh, and what all the, the hardware context and the actual job you're selling the unit to do are going to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the whole, uh, the whole hardware peripheral input device race is still very much 
like uh, in these early, 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 early stages. I mean, totally. it could be it, anyway, it's anybody's race at, at really at this point. Um, but there's another race going on, and it's I think it's between I would say the operating systems. It's more like uh, PC versus Android uh, versus Sony, um, and and versus the web. Versus the web. So I mean, where, where how can something so fragmented at this point uh, become you know, appealing or, or become mainstream. I mean, it feels like it's, uh, we, we, we talk about standards and I, and it, I feel like it's, and perhaps it's because I'm, I'm limited in knowledge, but could, could, could it be, could, could the industry be standardized, um, you know, eventually just because there's so many different ways of getting into VR with your PC, with your Android phone, with your, uh, PlayStation and we sort of have that already with, uh, kind of native applications and apps and all that, right? There's a lot of competition between the different platforms. I don't think we'll ever see a single unified underlying OS, but all of those already share the web as kind of a common both content consumption and developer platform. Uh, and, you know, with the web gaining power and approaching the same capabilities as all the native platforms do, that's becoming an appealing prospect for developers because you can write a web app once and then it'll run on iOS, it'll run on Windows, it'll run on Mac OS X, it'll run on Linux without you having to actually develop a specific you know, Linux version of your app. Um, and that again, that's one of the reasons why I really want to add the web capabilities to VR. Because like in practical terms, like I see this now, right? You go to download some Oculus demos and there's going to be a Windows download link. Maybe there's a Mac OS X download link. There's never a Linux download link, almost never. Um, and if you're running something else, you are completely screwed. And so having something as kind of common as the web browser and, and the web kind of be this, this mediator, I think will make a lot of this content more approachable. There's always going to be stuff that, you know, you, you will need native code to do or native kind of platform access. Like if you're really trying to push the very bleeding edge, trying to squeeze the last kind of percentage of performance, okay, you know, maybe you need to actually go through the pain of writing it for kind of the native operating system. But if you're okay with 90% of the performance, you know, or 85, whatever, whatever it might be, then you can get a lot of advantages by going through the web mm -hmm. because then you get to write it for one platform and your users, it'll just work, right? Like whether they're using a Windows PC or a high powered Android device with, for example, an NVIDIA desktop class GPU in that Android tablet or whatever it might be, they can experience the same content without you having to say, oh, how the heck do I package this now for Android when all I've been doing is developing a Windows app for now? Mm. I have uh, I have uh, friends who who are programmers, and, and every time I bring up VR, they're, they're asking me, well, Chris, where is the app that can help me program? You know, I can write code inside a virtual <laughs> reality office space sort of place. Um, and, and, you know, you bring something really interesting earlier about, you know, these the competition of jobs, that idea of, well, how could VR, you know, that, that paradigm compete with the current one? And could, could, a, could a programmer, could a, someone who's doing really high level abstract sort of work uh, be able to be more efficient with, with a virtual reality, you know, space? What do you guys think on that? That's, sorry, it's, it's not clear to me that, okay, so no one programs iOS or Android apps on an iOS or Android device. Mm. I mean, maybe on a tablet, but it is the exception to the rule. So it's not clear to me that that's going to be 
necessary for VR to succeed as a medium. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can decouple the display device and the programming device. I mean, again, look at console games. Yeah. It's a perfect example, right? In fact, it's typical that the output or the consumption device is different from the content creation device, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the norm. So I'm not really worried about that. Um, that said, I mean, I think it was interesting. At SVVR recently, you had a bunch of um, developers up on stage, some guys are doing some really, really cool stuff, uh, talking about wouldn't it be cool to create content in VR as well? What are the content creation possibilities here? I believe John Carmack had said that he felt 4K uh, resolution would be enough to actually do programming in. Um, it's not clear to me whether you're going to want to be in a headset for a long duration looking at text in that format. I mean, you could go to a movie theater to read a novel projected onto a screen, but it's not clear to me you'd want to if you could just, you know, you could read on a piece of paper in front of you. So to get to your point, like it has to be able to actually offer something meaningfully better um, that leverages the strength of the medium and not just be a transplant of what works in one medium to into VR. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think that the, the hard thing there is not really figuring out what this looks like in VR, but for actual kind of traditional software development, like what does it look like to have a visual experience to software development? Right now it's generally all text. You might have an IDE that'll give you some nice features there, but you're still ultimately looking at text. I don't know if that's really going to be the best medium if you want to do development in VR. There are some interesting experiments going on with some visual programming languages from a couple of different universities and a couple of different, uh, different areas. Maybe something like that will have a, a good space in VR. Mm -hmm. um, actually, a good example might be uh, Epic's Unreal Engine 4 has a system called Blueprints, yeah. which is their kind of very heavily visual programming language. That might be kind of cool to see in a VR space. Um, to use an example, actually, that, that Josh talks about, you can look at something like programming languages, but if you go back to just thinking about just general content creation, uh, you look at a tool like Photoshop. Like that, I think, has very interesting uh, approaches, excuse me, uh, potential usability in VR, mm -hmm. right? If all of a sudden you're not constrained by this 2D space and interaction with keyboard and mouse and maybe, you know, tablet or whatever else, if all of a sudden you can be much more artistic and much more creative and actually be able to, like, create and work on your content in a completely different way, I think that'll be kind of one evolution. Yeah. The programming side is going to really kind of depend on somebody coming up, like, how do you map programming and development to something visual, mm -hmm. whereas I think things that are already visual, there's going to be a much cleaner and much kind of probably faster move to taking advantage of VR. Yeah, that's that's great, actually. I, If you think about what computers are great for in terms of content creation, it's precision. So you type in precisely the function you want or precisely the variable you want or precisely the Photoshop you know, uh, opacity value that you want. That's what computers are really good for. Computers kind of suck at um, kinesthetic creation or craft. I mean, I was the, the example I always make is I, I want to create Photoshop the way that Hero makes sushi, or the way that uh, woodworkers work, right? Which is a, there's a, it's a fully uh, kinesthetic experience. Every part of you is involved in that. You know, your hands and the dexterity of your hands are essential to the actual creation of content. It may be that VR, actually like tablets, is less geared to high precision content creation and more and better at kind of broad kinesthetic content creation. So for example, what is one of the premier content creation applications on the iPad? It's paper. Now paper is, does not give me the precision that using my mouse gives me, which is like pixel perfect precision, but paper doesn't care. Paper has created a content creation experience that is all about you know, big, beautiful brushes and, and broad strokes. And it's great for kind of big sketching. So 
Um, yeah, I really hope that someday I can go to the beach. Going to the beach would be nice too, working outside and actually create Photoshop using like a transparent headset and like big broad gestures at the beach. That'd be pretty sweet. That would be pretty sweet. If I ask uh, to sort of to start finishing up things up a bit um, and we are going into the realm of the unknown here. Um, if I ask Palmer Lucky, Philip Rosell, um, you know, uh, Ernest Klein, what is the metaverse? I, I, each and every one of them will give me a, a different answer yeah. uh, because this this thing, this you know possible potential thing that is impending, I think uh, hasn't been well defined. But in you guys' mind, what is what is the metaverse? What vision do you see? What does this new thing look like, um, and how will it affect us? So to me, the metaverse is the web. We already have it. We're just looking at it through a 2D lens. Mm -hmm. And so our challenge, I mean, partially us in Mozilla, but really kind of the general community, is to figure out how to actually bring that into the full 3D immersive experience. Mm -hmm. We already have this notion of connectedness. We have this notion of different providers, whether you want to call them servers or services, whatever the case may be. People are already used to navigating between them and you know having their communities on the web that they go to where they go to interact with people. We just need to uplift that into a fully immersive space. Mm. Uh, and I think that, to me at least, that seems like a really natural evolution for for the web itself mm. uh, because it's already there. If you try to create something outside of the web, you're basically starting from scratch. And you're losing out on decades of experience and decades of content that's already in the web. Maybe it's not 3D content. doesn't matter. It can start evolving. Um, and being able to leverage that, I think, will get us a long way towards actually creating kind of this, this metaverse. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, I think we've actually done the hard part, which is for the last 20 plus years, we've built the web and the infrastructure of the web and the scalability of the web and the content of the web, like that was the hard part. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, thanks to Palmer uh, and what Oculus has done, we've got the technology and we've got a really nice uh, platform for virtual reality going forward. And so we've just got to put the capstone on the web, which is, you know, uh, we've got the performance there now. Now we've seen to do this work that guys like uh, Vlad and Brandon are doing uh, at Google um, and create the APIs that let all these talented web devs actually create experiences on top of that. I think we've done the hard part. I think now we put the VR piece together and then we just unleash web developer creativity and just see what people come up yeah. with. And I mean, the web is not perfect, but I believe that it's good enough and actually even beyond good enough. If you try to wait for kind of this perfect snowflake, uh, you know, this perfect medium to create kind of this metaverse. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I think you want to be someplace where you can be scrappy and move quickly and let people copy paste, let people kind of, you know, grab, borrow, remix. Yeah. Uh, and you can do that on the web and want to see that happen on the VR web to actually build this this metaverse concept on top of, of the web. Yeah. If you try to duplicate that and try to just create it in kind of a new space, it's never going to have the, the, the same scale. It might have been like that first, the first Bioshock game with the uh, yeah. failed, failed empire. <laughs> Lots of mutation and horrible things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? Okay. Um, yeah, going forward, I mean, just this whole, just sticking to the idea of the metaverse really quick, uh, you know, what do you think uh, will be the ways that people will be able to monetize in, 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 a, in a web, in an internet that is you know, rendered in front of your eyes in 3D. Like, how do you think people will, able, will be able to make money? Because in my head, I, I've, I've been of the idea that this is going to be a whole new economy where right. people will provide services, where people will create things in, in exchange for cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. um, but, 
you know, that's, you know, just me off the top of my head. But, you know, for you guys that you've been doing this research and been so involved, how do you think people will be able to realistically, um, you know, make money, make a living or uh, do something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I'd say, I think, is one thing I'd say is that uh, we have a lot of the infrastructure on the web already and even beyond the web to actually do. To, to make money. Mm -hmm. So whether it's something like PayPal, whether it's something like uh, AdWords, um, I think what you'll see in VR is a lot of the classic uh, revenue streams, advertising, or even like direct uh, application pay purchases, iTunes style. Those are, let's say, free to play. These kind of freemium, these kind of systems will still apply in VR. But I think what you'll see is what people will kind of figure out what works in VR that, that didn't work so great in mobile or what worked well in mobile that doesn't really work so great in VR. So to give you one example, I mean, when we move from desktop to mobile, um, you know, banner ads down the side, they don't work. There's no real estate for them in mobile. So in mobile, what we find out works is like interstitial advertising or just-in-time advertising. I think I just today I read some stats on desktop uh, advertising revenue versus mobile advertising revenue. And in Google's most, recently num most recent numbers, I believe, they're really starting to see a pretty strong uptick in percentage of revenue coming from mobile versus desktop. It appears as though, I mean, a couple of years ago it wasn't the case. People were kind of worried about what advertising really worked on mobile, but it seems like groups like Facebook and Google are kind of figuring out what works. So advertising could be part of it, direct content purchases could be part of it. Going to a movie theater and paying for a ticket and then experiencing a VR avatar 360 from James Cameron in a couple of years, that could be part of it. I think you'll just see classic mechanisms adopted for the medium. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just going to be so exciting to see it just happening right in front of us. Um, Vlad and, and Josh, you guys have been true scholars and gentlemen of virtual reality on this podcast. <laughs> uh, to be. <laughs> I, I, I wish we could uh, go on for a, a lot more, but we're going to have to stop it here for now. Um, yeah, hope, I'm, I'm hopefully, hopefully I can get you guys going uh, yeah. go on, on again because yeah, I feel like good. we can go on for hours. It just, you know, privacy with the metaverse, yeah. uh, you know, just all the legal concerns of, of all this. Um, okay. How can people stay in touch? How can people follow what you're doing? How all that good stuff? Uh, so definitely follow us on, on Twitter. I'm VVUK on Twitter. Josh Carpenter on yep. Twitter. Uh, most of our stuff will be downstairs. We plan on having a bunch of blog posts out there. Okay. Um, we also have a mailing list that's kind of a very heavily technical focused. You can take a look at kind of some of the blog posts that we've done around some of the tech and innovation and get the link uh, for the web VR discuss list there. Nice. But uh, otherwise, I think you'll just see us uh, around the community. Cool. Uh, and especially once we have some more of the technology pieces in place, I think we want to set up a place where people can both come and see what's possible and also to open up a discussion with the broader community, especially with the design community and things like that. Yeah, we, um, you know, one of the things that Mozilla believes really strongly is that uh, a medium is strong when people are creating for it. People care more about a medium when they create for it, when they're actually invested in it, when they contribute to its growth. So what we want to do is foster as much conversation as possible, but not for it to be like, here, we made this, you guys go use it now, but a, hey, we're thinking this, what do you guys think? Or a, hey, you know, you over there, you got a really great idea, we'd love to kind of work with you to incorporate it. So we're trying to be really active on Twitter. Like Vlad said, we're trying to blog about everything that we do. We're also in the uh, Oculus subreddit, uh, in the Janus subreddit, in some different forums like that, trying to be part of the conversation on Dev Oculus. Uh, so, you know, we'll see, you'll see us out there and just, Ping us. We're pretty responsive, and we, we really enjoy the conversation. Oh, and also, if you're in uh, San Francisco, uh, SFVR and SFVR, we attend those. And then I think probably the same in – is there a Toronto VR? I don't think so. Oh, we should start one. But maybe, maybe we should start <laughs> We have one. a lovely yeah. office space. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
Cool. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I mean, if I'm a, if I were if I'm a VR developer, I'm, I, I I try to be. Uh, but if if I'm a legit, I want to work with Mozilla. I'm just right now. I'm just waiting for your SDK or just stay uh, in the loop with what you guys are. are uh, you can find Vlad's blog post where he's got an experimental build for both uh, Mac and Windows, okay. uh, or you can find Brandon Jones' blog post where he's got the same thing for Chrome, and both of those represent uh, early builds that incorporate the first components of the technical roadmap. And if you want the technical roadmap, Vlad's blog post has a really killer overview of kind of what we're implementing and what's going to come next. Man, amazing. Awesome talk. Again, you guys, uh, thanks so much for your time. Cool. No worries. Thanks. Thanks, Chris.